0: Welcome to Drift Off, Bedtime Stories to help you unwind, relax, and drift off. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host Joanne, and it's a pleasure helping you get restful sleep. This week on Drift Off, we're asking you to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a 5-star rating and review. This is a free way to support the podcast while giving you a chance to share what you love about the show. You can let us know which episode is your favorite, and it helps other sleepy listeners discover Drift Off too. It's super easy. Hop onto Apple Podcasts, scroll down our show page, select a star rating, and then tap Write a Review. We'll be sure to take a look and share some of our fan favorites and upcoming episodes. Thank you for your support. It truly is an honor helping you get restful sleep. Tonight I will be reading from the Maida book series by Enos Haynes Irwin published in 1909. The story is about a sweet little girl named Maida who is sickly and lame. Her father is well known to be one of the most wealthiest men in America. He decides to buy her a little shop in Charleston, Massachusetts to give her a purpose and to help restore her health. However, he has one condition, that she not tell anyone who she is or who her father is. And for the first time in her life, Maida makes wonderful new friends because they think she's just an ordinary girl. And so, as always, my friend, settling comfortably under the covers... Take a slow, comfortable breath. And as you exhale, relax and let go. Allow any tension to just melt away. Letting your body sink deeper and deeper down into the softness of your bed. There is nothing left to do and nowhere else to be, so just lay back, relax, and enjoy the story. Chapter 13, The Fair Save your pennies. A Christmas fair will be held in this shop the Saturday before Christmas. Delicious candies made by Miss Rosie Brine. Paper goods designed and executed by Master Richard Dorr. Wood carving designed and executed by Master Arthur Duncan. Don't miss it. This sign hung in Maida's window for a week. Billy made it. The lettering was red and gold. In one corner, he painted a picture of a little boy and girl in their nightgowns, peeking up a chimney place hung with stockings. In the other corner, the full moon face of a Santa Claus popped like a jolly jack-in-the-box from a chimney top, a troop of reindeer dragging a sleigh full of toys scurried through the printing. The whole thing was enclosed in a wreath of holly. The sign attracted a great deal of attention. Children were always stopping to admire it, and even grown people paused now and then. There was such a falling off of Maida's trade that she guessed that the children were really saving their pennies for the fair. This delighted her. The WMNTs wasted no time that last week in spite of a very enticing snowstorm. Maida, of course, had nothing to do on her own account, but she worked with Dickie morning and afternoon. Rosie could not make candy until the last two or three days for fear it would get stale. Then she set to like a little whirlwind. My face is almost tanned from bending over the stove, she said to Maida. Aunt Teresa says if I cook another batch of candy, I'll have a crop of freckles. Arthur seemed to work the hardest of all, because his work was so much more difficult. It took a great deal of time and strength, and yet nobody could help him in it. The sound of his hammering came into Maida's room early in the morning. It came in sometimes late at night when, cuddling between her blankets, she thought what a happy girl she was. I never saw such fine busy little folks, Granny said approvingly again and again. It reminds me of my own Annie. Oh, I wonder what she's doing and thinking this Christmas. Don't you worry, Maida always said. Billy'll find her for you yet. He said he would. Maida herself was giving, for the first time in her experience, a good deal of thought to Christmas time. In the first place, she had sent the following invitation to every child in Primrose Court Will you please come to my Christmas tree to be given Christmas night in the little shop, Maida? In the second place, she was spying on all her friends. Listening to their talk, watching them closely in work and play, to find just the right thing to give them. Do you know, I never made a Christmas present in my life, she said one day to Rosie. You never made a Christmas present, Rosie repeated. Maida's quick perception sensed in Rosie's face an unspoken accusation of selfishness. That wasn't because I didn't want to, Rosie dear, Maida hastened to explain. It was because I was too sick. You see, I was always in bed. I was too weak to make anything, and I could not go out and buy presents as other children did. But people used to give me the loveliest things. What did they give you? Rosie asked, curiously. Oh, all kinds of things father's given me an automobile and a pair of ponies and a family of 20 dolls and my weight in silver dollars. I can't remember half the things I've had. A pair of ponies? An automobile? A family of 20 dolls? Your weight in silver dollars? Why Maida, you're dreaming or you're out of your head? Out of my head? Why Rosie, you're out of your head? Don't you suppose I know what I got for Christmas?" Maida's eyes began to flash and her lips to tremble. Well now, Maida, just think of it, Rosie said in her most reasonable voice. Here you are, a little girl, just like anybody else, only you're running a shop. Now just as if you could afford to have an automobile. Why, my father knows a man who knows another man who bought an automobile. And it cost $900. What did yours cost? $2,000. Maida said this with a guilty air in spite of her knowledge of her own truth. Rosie smiled roguishly. Maida, dear, she coaxed, you dreamed it. Maida started to her feet. For a moment, she came near saying something very saucy indeed, but she remembered in time. Of course nobody in the neighborhood knew that she was Buffalo Westerbrook's daughter. It was impossible for her to prove any of her statements. The flash died out of her eyes, but another flash came into her cheeks, the flash of dimples. Well, perhaps I did dream it, Rosie, she said archly. But I don't think I did, she added in a quiet voice. Rosie turned the subject tactfully. What are you going to give your father? she asked. That's bothering me dreadfully, Maida sighed. I can't think of anything he needs. Why don't you buy him the same thing I'm going to get my papa, Rosie suggested eagerly. That is, I'm going to buy it if I make enough money at the fair. Does your father shave himself? Oh, Adolf, his valet always shaves him, Maida answered. Rosie's brow knit over the word valet, but Maida was always puzzling the neighborhood with strange expressions. Then her brow lightened. My father goes to a barber too, she said. I've heard him complaining lots of times how expensive it is. And the other day, Arthur told me about a razor his father uses. He says it's just like a lawnmower or a carpet sweeper. You don't have to have anybody shave you if you have one of them. You run it right over your face, and it takes all the beard off and doesn't cut or anything. Now, wouldn't you think that would be fun? I should think it would be just lovely, Maida agreed. That's just the thing for Papa, for he's so busy. How much does it cost, Rosie? About a dollar, Arthur thought. I never paid so much for a Christmas present in my life, and I'm not sure yet that I can get one. But if I do sell two dollars worth of candy, I can buy something perfectly beautiful for both father and mother." Oh Rosie, Maida asked breathlessly, do you mean that your mother's coming back? Rosie's face changed. Don't you think I'd tell you that the first thing? No, she hasn't come back, and they don't say anything about her coming back. But if she ever does come, I guess I'm going to have her Christmas present all ready for her. Maida patted her hand. She's coming back, she said. I know it. Rosie sighed. You come down Main Street the night before Christmas. Dickie and I are going to buy our Christmas presents then and we can show you where to get the little razor. I'd love to, Maida beamed. And indeed, it seemed the most fascinating prospect in the world to her. Every night after she went to bed, she thought it over. She was really going to buy Christmas presents without any grown-up person about to interfere. It was rapture. The night before the fair, The children worked even harder than the night before Halloween, for there were so many things to display. It was evident that the stock would overflow windows and shelves and showcases. We'll bring the long kitchen table in for your things, Arthur, Maida decided after a perplexed consideration of the subject. Dickie's and Rosie's things ought to go on the shelves and into the showcases where nobody can handle them. They tugged the table into the shop and covered it with a beautiful old blue counterpane. That's fine, Arthur approved, unpacking his handicraft from the bushel baskets in which he brought them. The others stood round admiring the treasures and helping him to arrange them prettily. A fleet of graceful little boats occupied one end of the table. Piles of breadboards, rolling pins, and cats the other. In the center lay a bowl filled with tiny baskets carved from peach stones. From the molding hung a fringe of hockey sticks. Having arranged all Arthur's things, the quartet filed upstairs to the closet where Dickie's paperwork was kept. Gracious. I didn't realize there were so many, Rosie said. Sure, the lad has worked day and night, Granny said, patting Dickie's thin cheek. They filled Arthur's baskets and trooped back to the shop. They lined showcase and shelves with the glittering things. Boxes, big and little, gorgeously ornamented with stars and moons, caps of gold and silver, flying gay plumes, Rainbow boats too beautiful to sail on anything but fairy seas. Miniature jackets and trousers that only a circus rider would wear. Dicky, I never see anything look so lovely, Maida said, shaking her hands with delight. I really didn't realize how pretty they were. Dicky's big eyes glowed with satisfaction. Nor me neither, he confessed. And now, Maida said, bubbling over with suppressed importance, Rosie's Candies, I've saved that until the last. She pulled out one of the drawers under the showcase and lifted it onto the counter. It was filled with candy boxes of paper prettily decorated with flower patterns on the outside, with fringes of lace paper on the inside. I ordered these boxes for you, Rosie, she explained. I knew your candy would sell better if it was put up nicely. I thought the little ones could be 5 cent size, the middle-sized ones 10 cent size, and the big ones 25 cent size. Rosie was dancing up and down with delight. They're just lovely, Maida, and how sweet you were to think of it. But it was just like you. Now we must pack them, Maida said. Four pairs of hands made light work of this. By nine o'clock, all the boxes were filled and spread out temptingly in the showcase. By a quarter past nine, three of the WMNTs were in bed trying hard to get sleep. But Maida stayed up. The boxes were not her only surprise. After the others had gone, she and Granny worked for half an hour in the little shop. The Saturday before Christmas dawned clear and fair. Rosie hallooed for Dickie and Arthur as she came out of doors at half past seven and all three arrived at the shop together. Their faces took on such a comic look of surprise that Maida burst out laughing. But where did it all come from? Rosie asked in bewilderment. Maida, you sly boots, you must have done this all after we left. Maida nodded. But all Arthur and Dickie said was, gee, and jiminy crickets. But Maida found these exclamatives quite as expressive as Rosie's hugs, and indeed, She herself thought the place worthy of any degree of admiring enthusiasm. The shop was so strung with garlands of Christmas green that it looked like a bower. Bunches of mistletoe and holly added their colors to the holiday cheer. Red Christmas bells hung everywhere. My goodness, I never passed such a day in my life, Maida said that night at dinner. She was telling it all to Granny, who had been away on mysterious business of her own. It's been like a beehive here ever since 8 o'clock this morning. If we'd each of us had an extra pair of hands at our knees and another at our waists, perhaps we could have begun to wait on all the people. I'm sure it was no more than you deserved for being such busy little bees, Granny approved. The only trouble was, Maida went on smilingly, that they liked everything so much that they could not decide which they wanted most. Of course, the boys preferred Arthur's carvings and the girls Rosie's candy, but it was hard to say who liked Dickie's things the best. Granny twinkled with delight. She had never told Maida, but she did not need to tell her that Dickie was her favorite. And then the grown people who came, Granny. First Arthur's father on his way to work, then Mrs. Lathrop and Laura, they brought loads of things. And Mrs. Clark and Mrs. Doyle, and even Mr. Flanagan bought a hockey stick. He said, Maida dimpled with delight, he said he bought it to use on Arthur and Rosie if they ever hooked Jack again. Poor Miss Allison bought one of Arthur's cats. What do you suppose for? Granny had no idea. To wind her wool on. Then Billy came at the last minute and bought everything that was left. And just think, Granny, there was a crowd of little boys and girls who had stood about watching all day without any money to spend, and Billy divided among them all the things he bought. Guess how much money they made? Granny guessed three sums, and each time, Maida said triumphantly, more. At last, Granny had to give it up. Arthur made $5.30. Dickie made $3.87. Rosie made $2.70. After dinner that night, Maida accompanied Rosie and Dickie on the Christmas shopping expedition. They went first to a big dry goods store with Dickie. They helped Dickie to pick out a fur collar for his mother from a counter marked 298. The one they selected was of grey and brown fur. Dickie's face shone with delight when at last he tucked the big round box safely under his arm. Just think, I've been planning to do this for three years, he said, and I never could have done it now if it hadn't been for you, Maida. Next, Dickie took the two little girls where they could buy razors, the kind that goes like a lawnmower, Rosie explained to the proprietor. The man stared hard before he showed them his stock. But he was very kind and explained to them exactly how the wonderful little machine worked. Maida noticed that Rosie examined very carefully all the things displayed in windows and on counters, but nothing she saw seemed to satisfy her, for she did not buy. What is it, Rosie? Maida asked after a while. I'm looking for something for my mother. I'll help you, Maida said. She took Rosie's hand and, thus linked together, the two little girls discussed everything that they saw. Suddenly, Rosie uttered a little cry of joy and stopped at a jeweler's window. A tray with the label, Solid Silver $1, overflowed with the little heart-shaped pendants. Mama'd love one of those, Rosie said. She just loved things she could hang round her neck. They went inside. It's just what I want, Rosie declared, but I wish I had a little silver chain for it. I can't afford one though, she concluded wistfully. I know what to do, Maida said. Buy a piece of narrow black velvet ribbon. Once my father gave my mother a beautiful diamond heart. Mother used to wear it on a black velvet ribbon. Afterwards, Papa bought her a chain of diamonds. But she always liked the black velvet best, and so did Papa, and so did I. Papa said it made her neck look whiter. The other three children looked curiously at Maida when she said, Diamond Heart. When she said, String of Diamonds, they looked at each other. Was that another of your dreams, Maida? Rosie asked mischievously. Dreams, Maida repeated, firing up. But before she could say anything that she would regret, the dimples came. Perhaps it was a dream, she said prettily. But if it was, then everything's a dream. I believe every word that Maida says, Dickie protested stoutly. I believe that Maida believes it," Arthur said with a smile. They all stopped with Rosie while she bought the black velvet ribbon and strung the heart on it. She packed it neatly away in the glossy box in which the jeweler had done it up. If my mama doesn't come back to wear that heart, nobody else ever will, she said passionately. Never, never, never unless I have a little girl of my own someday. Your mother will come back," Mita said. And as the story now comes to an end, your journey towards restful sleep now begins. And you can enjoy this moment of peace and calm before drifting off into the realm of dreams, and just resting here now, while enjoying this pleasant feeling of sleepy relaxation, let it wrap around you like a cozy blanket. And it feels so good to let go. And drifting down deeper and deeper. And so my friend, in your own time and in your own way, you can drift off into a restful sleep And you will awaken, feeling refreshed and wonderful in every way. And so sweet dreams, my friend. Sleep well.